The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. I loved sports growing up. I didn't like watching them. I liked being the guy out there. God gave me a passion for sports, and he made me good at it. I enjoyed being that kid who was the best at everything growing up. I thought it was me that was so fast. I thought it was me that was so coordinated. I thought that was about me. I thought that was mine. And that lasted all the way up through seventh, eighth grade, and I was forced to grow up. Situations, circumstances beyond my control put me in a a situation where what I loved was taken from me. It's now high school. Other kids are starting to hit their growth spurt, and I just didn't. I watched the other kids grow and get bigger and stronger and faster than me, and that was new to me. It was so hard. Nights spent alone in my room, face down crying, just bawling, just bawling. And just the shame wrapped up in that as I tried to hide that emotion And you know, at age 15, it's hard to really know that God's in control. Why, why did you take this from me? I was frustrated. I didn't have what I wanted. I was really questioning my faith. So I want you to ask yourself, what is the number one killer of relationships, of careers, of dreams? What is the number one reason people's marriages fall apart, people's lives get devastated, dreams collapse, what you hope would be accomplished doesn't happen? Now, you can immediately start kicking into a whole list of reasons, right? Like, why do marriages fall apart? Maybe because someone lied or cheated or had an affair. Maybe because they mistreated each other. Maybe anger, right? Maybe you go down the list of maybe some of those deadly sins, and, and you could quickly think, maybe, why do people's careers fall apart? Maybe, maybe like Daniel, the reason is because you just didn't keep up growing. I mean, you, you can't, you're not going to become an NFL uh, all-star if uh, you're not big enough, right? You, you kind of have to have the physical stature to make it. So, so maybe, maybe the reason people's dreams don't work out is they're just not smart enough or strong enough or big enough or fast enough. And, and we, we could investigate a lot of reasons that we might think are the number one killer in people's relationships, dreams, careers, homes, in the schools. What's the number one killer in the community? And yet, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this up, right? Like, I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to tell you what it is. Like, we're not going to wrestle through this. It's right here. It's pride. Pride is a killer. It, it kills homes. It kills relationships. It kills careers. It kills people's hopes and dreams. It wrecks neighborhoods. It destroys cities. It devastates nations. And I'll tell you why. Because pride isn't just a problem. It's the mother of all problems. It's the source of every other vice in our lives. Here's what pride looks like. 
Pride thinks this, I deserve. So pride feels entitled. Not only does it feel entitled, pride says, I deserve for you to do something for me. It, it believes that you should not only give me what you have, but it feels like you are responsible to serve me. Why? Because pride says that I am better than you. I'm more important than you. I have more value than you. See, pride is narcissistic and selfish. And when pride doesn't get its way, it self-medicates. I deserve to feel better than I do right now. And so pride will do whatever it takes to make itself feel good. Pride thinks first of itself before it thinks of anyone else. Pride is defensive. Why? Because pride believes it's always right, and the other person's always wrong. And so it has to be defensive because it's telling the other person, you're not right. Pride mistreats people. Pride treats other people as lower than itself. So it can be, pride can make, make you treat people harshly or abusively or speak down to people, curse at people, you, you, because you're building yourself up by tearing someone else down. And, and here's what every one of us did. Right now, as I was going through that list, you immediately started thinking of people that act like that, right? When I mentioned narcissism, you went, I know people who are narcissistic. When, when I talked about speaking abusively, every one of us is what we did. We are like, I I know that person who spoke abusively to me. When I, when I talked about the fact that um, pride, it feels entitled, you immediately waxed political. Or you thought about someone you know, a close friend, maybe not such a close friend, and you mean, they're entitled. They, they think I exist to serve them. Maybe you thought of a, a family member, a loved one. That's pride. Pride is quick to notice the problems in others with very little self-examination. See, pride won't let me look in at myself and see my own problems, see my own hang-ups, my own issues, my own shortcomings. So we have to ask ourselves, and, and it's hard work. I mean, I mean, you've got to really determine that you're going to look in the mirror rather than looking to someone else right now. This is what we're going to do. We have to ask ourselves, do any of those characteristics that I just listed exist in my life? And is pride sabotaging God's destiny for my life? Take a moment. Do a quick emotional survey. Do a quick self-examination. And you're going to have to work hard at this because your own, that deep vice inside of you is going to fight to keep you from looking inward. Now, here, here's a quick reality check. Every one of us have a struggle with pride. It, it's one of those deep vices, deep sources of wrongdoing that exist in every single one of us. And all of us are hardwired with pride to not see it in ourselves. Pride blinds us to our own pride. So I wanna, I'm going to look at a guy uh, found in the Bible. It's, it's wrapped up right in the story of Jesus. A guy who, you know, you, you might look at him and say, he had good reason to feel proud. Now, there's certain people, I've, I've had people come to me and they, they confess their pride. And I look at them with a crooked eye. I'm like, really? 
Like, I look at them and I think, I don't know why you're proud. You have nothing to be proud of. I mean, like, look at you. you know, like, but I don't ever say that. Like, I don't. I, I, I bite my tongue, but I'm thinking it. So now you all know what I'm thinking. I'm like, I, I don't get why you're prideful. Like, if I was you, I wouldn't know you. I'm saying, like, okay. <laughs> so, but this guy, he, he's, got, he's got some reason to be proud. Uh, his name is Simon Peter. And Simon, uh, as we've been sharing the story of his life, I'm just going to, those of you who may have missed it or you haven't heard it yet, Simon was a fisherman. Uh, his brother Andrew is one of his colleagues in the, in the fishing business under his dad, John. Uh, they have some co-workers that work alongside of them, uh, these other guys. And, and, and so Simon, he, he's like your prototypical fisherman. He, here's a way to understand John, uh, Simon. Simon is a self-made man. He works hard. He's self-reliant. He speaks his mind. He's a little rough around the edges. Uh, he, if you met him, you'd think this guy's a man's man. He, I mean, he kind of, he, he struts his stuff. He, he's a little bigger than everybody else. I mean, his brother Andrew, he's a little more quiet, a little more reflective, a little meeker. But, but you know, Simon, he, he has no problem stepping up to a fight. He, he has no problem putting himself in the middle of trouble, and he knows how to handle himself. So when he meets Jesus, Jesus invites him to follow him. And Jesus says, look, you've been fishing all of your life. I'm inviting you to follow me, and you're going to change the world. You're going to start catching people. You're going to change people's lives. And you could see Peter kind of just like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Let's go. And so Simon starts following Jesus. And then Jesus gives him a nickname. We're going to read that right now. It's found in the Gospel according to John. So the, the eyewitness perspective of the life and teachings of Jesus by this guy named John. He records this moment. It's found in John chapter 1, verse 42. Jesus looked at him, Simon, and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, I, I get it. You're like, what's the big deal? Hey, look, if you're one of the disciples and Jesus nicknames you Rocky, that's actually Peter actually means rock. And I don't know about you, but like if, if of all the disciples, you're the one that gets named Rocky or like the rock. I mean, first of all, immediately all of you, you're thinking like Peter is this big, muscular dude. All right. But, uh, but I mean, he, I mean, that's cool. I don't know. I just, I like that. And you kind of get the idea of why. So we're going to jump ahead. Here, here's another one of these like, great moments in Simon Peter's life, in Rocky's life. We're going, to, we're going to look at it from the eyewitness perspective of a guy named Matthew. A, a guy who, if he confessed that he was full of pride, you would be like, I don't know why. Matthew is an IRS agent in ancient times, all right? He works for the, he's employed by the Roman Empire. He's hated by the Jews, even though he is a Jew, because he goes around ripping people off for a living. So when he follows Jesus, it's a little bit more like, help, my life is messed up. Can you help me? Matthew records the life and teachings of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 16, we have this moment. Verse 13. He asked his disciples, Jesus is asking them, who do people say the son of man is? Who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Still others think you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon, the Rocky, 
the rock, Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And everyone else in the, in the, in the circle, all the other disciples are like, wait, what? How do you know that? And Jesus answers, blessed are you. You are favored of God, Peter. You're not only going to change the world and your nickname is Rocky, but you are blessed. You're favored by God. Simon, for this was not revealed to you by men, meaning this isn't something you figured out or you heard people talk about, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. You're the rock. And on this rock, see, now he, play, he does a little word trick here. He goes like this. You're Rocky. But on this rock, meaning on that confession, the fact that you just said that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, that's a, that's a boulder. That is an unbelievable God-given revelation. And on that revelation, I am going to build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. I will give you... Not just you, the Rocky, but to those who believe in me and believe that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. For anyone that's standing on the rock, I am going to give them the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. He said, look, for right now, we're going to keep this quiet. Now, if you're Peter... Um, you, you just got nicknamed Rocky, and, you know, Jesus gives you this nickname. You, you were told by Jesus that you're going to be part of changing the world, and he, you, just, you just got the answer. Like, you know, of all the riddles, you're the one that solved the problem. Like, who am I? And you're like, I, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter's starting to feel really good about himself. He's starting to strut his stuff a little bit. He's getting a little cocky, a little confident. And Jesus is like, look, that was the answer. I mean, you got it right. I'm going to build the entire church on that reality. You know the answer. Now you're going to go around. You're going to tell people that answer. And that answer is going to change the world. And you can just see Peter's flexing. He, I mean, he's making muscles. And then, like, only a few verses later, literally, like, we're going to skip, like, one verse. Jesus, in the very next verse, goes like this. Oh, by the way, guys, um, before you change the world, I'm going to die. And it's going to end really badly. And Peter took him aside. Check this out and began to rebuke him. Rocky goes, whoa, 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 wait a second. Whoa, hold up. We're going to change the world. I mean, you just said we're going to build an awesome church. And so, so Peter goes over and he grabs Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, you got it all wrong. And he starts rebuking Jesus. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. We're not going to let it happen. I mean, I'm Rocky. I'll go to blows for you. Uh, we got this, Jesus. I got your back, right? Like, okay. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wait, what? Like two verses ago, Jesus is saying, you're Rocky. And on the truth that you just had, I'm going to build my whole church and the world's going to be different because of that. And now he's telling Peter, Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Here's what happened. Peter first responded. Simon began to follow Jesus. And then at some point, he started walking alongside of Jesus. And then as he started feeling good about himself, he started getting out in front of Jesus. He thought he was leading the way. And pride started setting in. Arrogance started, started moving him from a posture of following to a position of leading. He started telling Jesus what Jesus was going to do rather than listening to Jesus tell him what he was going to do. And so Jesus has to say, get behind me. Satan. Now, this was not a phrase where he, he didn't go like this. He didn't say, get out of my face, Peter. It was more of a, Peter, you are not doing what I invited you to do. You're going back to the old way you used to live. The way, the way you lived before, you were in charge. The way you were before, you were a self-made man. The way you were before, you led and everyone else had to follow you. But when you started following me, I lead and you follow. Get back behind me. You following me so far? You with me? All right. Get behind me. He goes, you are not thinking the way God thinks. You're thinking according to the ways of men. You're thinking that you're going to get out in front and you're going to be like one of my soldiers. You're going to go charge and you're going to get my, you're going to protect me. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna set me up. You're going to make me a king. You, you think that you're going to be one of my, my warriors out in front fighting for me and that you're going to set up a kingdom for me, but you're not thinking the way God thinks. I want you to get back behind me, follow me. You're going to do this my way. And here is the moment for you and I where the number one killer is pride in our life, just like it was going to destroy Peter. It's time for us to make a comeback from pride, pride that's devastating homes, pride that's devastating careers and people's finances and their hearts and their emotions, pride that's wrecking our cities and our nation. It's time for us to make a comeback. And I want to invite you, this is the principle that we need to apply to our lives if we are going to make a comeback from pride. And here it is. I'd encourage you to write this down as you're taking notes today. Feel free to write this down in your program or in the study guide. Feel free to use your smartphone or tablet. I'd encourage you to write this down, all right? Because um, I want this to go from your hand to your head to your heart so it becomes a habit. This is one of those that requires it to become a habit. It doesn't come easily. And it's this. We're going to put on humility. I want you to think about it like a, like a, a bathrobe. Now, I don't wear bathrobes. I, so I'm not sure how we're going to make this one work, but um, let's think about it like this, right? Like, like you've got to strip away and wash away what comes easily, the dirt and the filth, and then you've got to put on a robe. You're going to wear this around you so that it dresses you differently. Every one of us, like Simon Peter are quick to get out in front. We're going to tell God what God is going to do with our life. We want to be in charge. We want to tell our marriage how it's going to work. We're going to tell our family how it's going to work. We want to tell our boss and our colleagues and our coworkers. We want to tell our classmates and our teachers. We want to tell the community. We want to tell the government how the whole thing works. 
We, we think we're in charge. Now, there is a problem. I mentioned to you that pride is the mother of all problems. It's the mother of all issues. It's kind of the source. Well, at the very bottom, pride comes from sin. Sin is a word to capture what biblical authors describe as the driving force in our lives. Sin is like an engine. It's your operating system. It's, it's what causes you to think the way you do. And at the core of who you and I are, we are corrupted by sin. Sin is what causes us to believe that pride is the right way. Sin is what draws us toward feeling entitled, toward feeling defensive, toward being narcissistic. Sin is what makes us think more of ourselves than others. Sin is what causes us to live selfishly rather than selflessly. Sin is what pushes us away from God and toward making ourselves God, right? Pride means I worship myself more than anyone else. Sin doesn't just ruin our lives, it cuts us off from relationship with God. And the, and the end result or the final payment of sin that produces pride is not just death, but a forever judgment where we go on living in destruction, we go on living in suffering forever. But God, who was unwilling to leave Peter, in a state of ruin, as Simon intervened in his life and said, come and follow me. And that same Jesus invites you to come and follow him. But he doesn't leave you in a state of pride. He rescues us. How? Because Jesus Christ came to earth and he died on a cross. He took the collective eternal death sentence that every one of us were facing and he put it on himself. He took the pride and the sin that lives in every one of our hearts and the judgment that we deserve because of it and he took it on himself. So that when Jesus died, he died the eternal death sentence that we deserve. So that in his death, our debt was paid and our death died. So that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith is forgiven of their sins and given new life. Shame and guilt removed. And now this new life, which comes when God's eternal invisible spirit comes and begins to live in our eternal invisible spirit, when God's spirit is united with us, we're changed. We begin to have an eternal life living in us. And now we begin to have the spirit of God living in us who begins to transform the operating, the iOS in our hearts from being one driven by sin to one being driven by his spirit. So now we begin to think the way God calls us to think rather than the way we are selfishly driven to think. Now we're able to shift from a life driven by pride to where we begin to, as the Spirit of God is in us, we begin to put on humility. We're going to fast forward Peter's life. Peter writes a couple of letters to some of the churches late in his life. And he writes in these letters a very different message than the way he had lived when he first started following Jesus. Listen to what he says in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. That's actually where I got the big idea from. I just took it right from there. Not very original. I just went, wow, clothe, put on. That's actually what that word clothe means. It means to, to wrap yourself in, to put it on. Like you got to dress yourself in it. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace 
to the humble. I want you to see a little bit of what this looks like. I want, we heard Daniel share about how he felt like he deserved, like he owed, and then he got frustrated when his plans and his ideas didn't go his way, and he was blaming God. But God got a hold of Daniel's life, and we want to share a little bit more of his story with you. Check this out. So after my redshirt freshman year, I tried to quit. I didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. But a coach came to me, explained to me that I was being selfish, that the best way that I could help the team was to continue to punt. And so I did. And what happens the next year, I win the award for the best punter in college football, the Ray Guy Award. And what is that? Okay, this must be what I'm, what I'm supposed to do. So I apply myself at it a little bit more, perform well, actually end up winning that award again. My coach pulled me aside and told me, hey, the NFL is a possibility for you. You need to start thinking about that seriously. My dad put an NFL banner in my room when I was in third grade. Why did he do that? Who knows? And now here I am in college, and that dream is becoming real. It's very clear to me that I was never in control. God was in control of my life. He guided me along this path. Daniel, you're holding on too tight. This life's not about you. Let go and let me handle things. Remember, you're just along for the ride here. I'm the author. He gave me that passion for playing sports when I was young. That wasn't mine, that was his. He ripped it from me in high school so that I would learn to be humble so that I would develop character as a young man so that when he blessed me with this dream of the NFL, that I would understand and recognize that it's his name that means to be glorified. It's not me, it never was me, it's him. If we're gonna overcome the number one killer in relationships, our homes, marriages, in the workplace, in our finances, if we're going to overcome the number one killer in our neighborhoods, our cities, our nation across the globe, it's going to happen when we make a comeback from pride by recognizing that we have to put on humility. Peter, this guy who, as Simon, really manifests arrogance, thinks his life is about him, but as Peter, right, Jesus called him from being a Simon to being a Peter. I, I want you to become a rock. I want you to be able to live differently. And so Jesus, Jesus sees in Simon what he can become in a Peter. And he challenges him. I, I know that you think this life is about you, but as Peter, I want you to make it not about you. I want you to begin to live selflessly. It, you, you know, as Simon, you fall down. But as Peter, I want you to get back up. As, as Simon, you struggle with doubt, but as Peter, I want you to begin to live by faith. As Simon, you've been getting out in front of me, but as Peter, you're going to learn to follow me. And we're going to learn from the writing of Peter, where he continues in his letter, in verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety or your carers and your worries on him because he cares for you. God, he's saying, 
God loves you more than you even love yourself. God cares more about you than you could possibly realize. As a result, you can take all the stuff that weighs you down, all of your worries, all of your fears, all of your doubts, all of your frustrations, all this stuff that's preoccupying you, and you can lay it down for God to care about. But here's, what that's gonna, here's what's going to be required of you. For you to humble yourselves under God's mighty hand so that then and only then does he lift you up. Here, how do you put on humility? Well, very simply this. To put on humility, we have to first submit to God. Now, that word submit, it, it, it sounds rough. That sounds like, man, that's like one of those words like nobody likes. Because all of us, you know, we like the idea of being self-made. I'm going to do it my way. I don't have to listen to anybody else. I can buck authority. But when we learn that God is awesome, God is in charge, God is in control, he is the creator of the universe, he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he is capable of doing whatever he wants at any time. Then I learn that that same God loves me, he has my best interests in mind, right? Because when I listen to him, I am living out what's best for me. He, he wants to rescue me from a life of ruin. He, he, he already died to rescue me from my eternal ruin. Then and only then do I begin to think differently and realize that I must come under God, right? This is the moment for Peter where Jesus is saying to him, get back, get behind me. You are not doing what is according to God's will. You're trying to do it man's way. And so Jesus tells Simon Peter, get back where you belong. I lead, you follow. Look, you want to put on humility? Put God back in the rightful place in your life. Put him back out at the lead, and you get your, your own life back where you belong, which is following Jesus. Who's leading your dreams? Are you making up the dreams? When somebody asks you, hey, what do you want to do with your life? Maybe you're a young person, you're in high school or college, and somebody says, well, what do you want to do, right? They're asking you the question. You're leading, now where are you going? The right answer is, I'm following Jesus. I have been, you know, you could say I have been praying. I'm waiting for God to direct my life, right? Like, who cares what you want to do with your life? It's not about you. You don't get to write your own story. You, you want to, okay, you can write your own story, but your story's going to be driven by pride, and it's going to lead to ruin and destruction. And you're going to become like every other statistic. You're going you're to wreck your home. You're going to wreck your marriage. You're going to wreck your career. You're going to wreck your finances. You're going to be part of the problem wrecking cities and nations. Okay, that was a mouthful. Or you can put on humility. You clothe yourself with an attitude of submitting to God where he leads and you follow. And as a result, now you allow God to direct your dreams. You allow God to lead your marriage. You allow God to lead your parenting or how you submit to your parents. You allow God to direct your career, God to lead your finances, God to lead the way you conduct yourself at work, in your business, uh, as an employee. It's God leading and you follow. It's when we submit to God and let him direct and order our life. Are you on a daily basis saying, God, you direct my day. You direct my way. I'm not going to go do my thing and then ask you to bless it, right? That's what Peter was doing. Peter was saying, no, 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 Jesus, that, that's never going to happen. Because Peter wasn't thinking according to the plans of God.
We got to be careful that we don't say, no, God, I don't want to do it that way. Our heart is saying, God, I submit to you as you wish. Whatever your will is, I will follow. Now that leads to the very next step, right? There's two principles. They really go hand in hand. The first is that we put on humility, which means we submit to God. And there's no better picture of humility than Jesus himself, right? Jesus, uh, in the moment captured by one of the authors, John, one of the followers of Jesus, he records a moment where Jesus gets down and he washes his disciples' feet. John chapter 13. I just want to read this to you real briefly. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was going to return to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And then it says that he get, he's got down and he washed the disciples' feet. See, um, humility doesn't mean that I have to think that I'm nothing. It doesn't mean that I have to think that I'm worthless. It just means that I think of myself rightly. I think of myself correctly. I know that I am a sinner. Sin is what has driven my life. And so long as I'm out in front of God, my life is going to be destroyed. But as I submit to God and I let God get out in front of me, he's leading and I'm following. I am submitted to God. Pride is at bay. Pride is pushed to the side. God is leading my life. Then I become more like Jesus, Jesus who knew exactly who he was. He was the son of God on earth and he was willing to serve others. Peter having remembered this moment where Jesus washed his feet, writes something very similar. Listen to this. First Peter, Peter's first letter, chapter four, verse eight. Above all, and here it is. Can I just challenge you with this? Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins, meaning love is quick to forgive. Offer hospitality to one another, meaning serve others and do it with a smile without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace, meaning take the generosity that God has given you and share it with others in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Whatever words come out of your mouth, when you are driven by humility, because you've clothed yourself in humility, the words that come out of your mouth should be the very words of God. They should breathe life. They should breathe hope. They should breathe strength into the people around you. Don't let pride cause you to speak hate and hurt, speak destruction and abuse and cursing over others. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength of God. God, that God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To put on humility, we must prefer others above ourselves. Peter, this guy who his life was being sabotaged by pride, had a life change because he, rebuked by Jesus, learned to submit himself to God. He learned to follow Jesus, and as a result, when he got behind Jesus, he learned to calculate the value of other people. And, when, and, and in that calculation, the math of God, every time you meet somebody, you prefer them above yourself. It, it means we take on the words like Daniel shared, and we say, my life isn't about me. 
This isn't about my career. It's not about my agenda. It's not about what I'm going to become. My life becomes about serving others so that I can serve God. It's about loving others as I love God. Your determination is that in humility, when you put on humility, you prefer others above yourself. And so my challenge to you right now is how has pride killed the relationships and the dreams and the destiny that God has put in your life? And what's the first commitment you need to make in order to see that turned around, in order to become a comeback story? What's the step you need to take? How can you begin to put on humility today? For some right now, that first step is to submit to God, to stop leading and start following Jesus. If that's where you're at, then your prayer today is this. Simply, Jesus, forgive me of doing this my way. I submit to you, forgive me of sin and give me a new life. I want to follow you. Others, even though you've been following Jesus, you've been allowing pride to sabotage God's best for your life, and it's time for you to start preferring others. Would you allow God's spirit to speak to your spirit and bring you to a place of repentance and transformation so that you become what God called you to be, a follower of Jesus and a preferer of others. Would you take a moment right now and would you pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.